Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Fred, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Lansing State Journal sports storyteller, Nate Atkins. Nathan, how are you doing on this lovely Wednesday afternoon as the second signing period begins in college football? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm a little nostalgic because I kind of miss the old setup for signing day where it was just one big bang and especially like when i know when you were coming up through high school when i was coming up through high school before this age of social media so we can sound like old men for a second but i liked when they would you would just find out when they went live to someone's signing day and they'd pull out the hats and they do their shenanigans and now it's in like 85 different places and you have you know for as great a work as they do at 247 you have enough people with enough intel to spoil it before it happens and so i'm just kind of it's just a little muted to what yeah. it normally is, well, but it's still fun to follow. Well, they spoiled it incorrectly for Keon Coleman, and we'll get into that uh, here uh, here in a little bit. When you said nostalgic a couple minutes ago, not a couple minutes ago, a minute ago, I thought you were going to talk about the NCAA football video games and the recruiting oh. on there, which uh, is a big thing for some for some of us and who like that particular thing. EA Sports announced yesterday that they were bringing back the college football game, which is uh, uh, pretty awesome. Jeez, you know, so much has happened since that news came out in Michigan State's world that I almost forgot about it. But yes, I'm so excited for that. And I was just thinking, you know, when they have that game out, so much has changed since that game came out when I was a senior in college. And just since then, you know, we've got the college football playoff. We've got the transfer portal. Can you imagine if you have to manage the transfer portal in that game? You're trying to recruit kids in your own team and you're going. (laughs) That would be awesome. I hope so. I am not looking forward to more than anything in the world than that. <laughs> I, like, I, know. I love all, I love all the nuances of recruiting on the on the final versus twenty what, 2014, right? That was the last one. Yeah, like the nuances of the recruiting, the coaching carousel, and I mean, hopefully they keep all of those things. I mean, they basically just need to keep uh, the dynasty mode as is, but maybe add the transfer portal. Yeah, I actually think the year, not to get too into the weeds, but the second to last version of that game, the one with RG three on it. It's the one I play all the time, partly because my 2014 disc broke, but also because the recruiting on that game is so much better. There's so many options to actually ask specific questions, and I just hope they let you get as into the weeds as possible on that because that's as much as you can mirror the real world of college football. I mean, it's all a recruiting game these days, and yeah. that's why we're here to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we're going to be talking about recruiting for most, if not all. Okay, fine, all. <laughs> all of this podcast. What we're going to do is uh, Nate, Nate and I are going to – Talk about the news that's surrounded MSU football today with uh, one decommitment and signing to a rival school and another commitment uh, coming in. And then we'll look at the five players that uh, Mel Tucker is currently brought in via the transfer portal. And then we'll take a look at the class as a whole. And Nate and I are going to kind of pick out a couple under-the-radar guys that we think uh, might be 
you know, potential future stars for Michigan State, the Joe Bocci's of the world, or the Love Bells of the world, uh, perhaps. So let's start with the news today. So there were some rumors, as I said earlier, we were recording on Wednesday afternoon, there were some rumors kind of floating around yesterday that Rayshon Benny, who has been committed to Michigan State since the end of last year, I believe November or December, I believe it was early December, uh, might be November actually, uh, that he was actually not going to sign with Michigan State and he was going to flip to rival Michigan. And obviously the Michigan-Michigan State Wars played out on Twitter as per usual. And then it was revealed this morning that <laughs> Rayshon Benny was in fact flipping and signing with Michigan. I mean, that's a huge loss for the Spartans. He was a four-star guy, four-star defensive tackle. He was their uh, second highest ranked recruit in the class behind Mao. Oh, no. <laughs> every time, every time, <laughs> Nate. Uh, this is why you host and not me. Uh, the, we'll say the four-star linebacker from Nevada. Mateo, it's not Gateote, but uh, that's just it's what called I mean. Ma. Yeah, we'll call him. We'll just call him Ma. So he's the second highest ranked uh, recruit after Ma, or was the second highest ranked recruit in the class after Ma, and he ended up flipping to Michigan. State. And there's nothing more painful than, you know, he's had he's had a photo of him in Michigan State gear on his, on his, his Twitter photo, Twitter profile photo since you know, for a long time now, and then it goes to black, and then he commits to Michigan. And just uh, that's a that's a tough loss for the Spartans. Yeah, especially an in-state guy, and that's obviously the inroads that the staff's trying to make. It's why uh, Mel Tucker, you know, hired some Detroit area guys to try and win that. When Michigan, it felt like was slipping a little bit in-state, and it seems like they've recovered in this class. It's tough, uh, especially because you know, as we and we'll get to this with the guy they just got, but I think the two positions that Mel Tucker is going most after, and this is just my take on it, but the two positions he just out of the gates wants to add to right now are wide receiver and defensive line. And so today was a mixed bag on that front, um, but definitely hurts to not have the defensive tackle because they're bringing in two defensive ends in this class that you know are, are the type of size that he wants. Um, it's Tyson Watson and Alex Okilo, those kind of 6'5 type uh, edge setter lengthy guys, but they could have used the other defensive tackle. They've just got the one in the class, Derek Harmon, but he's uh, coming out of a real small uh, lower level of play in Detroit. So Rayshon Benny was that guy that you hoped to come in and, and get some snaps as a freshman, but this is the world they live in, and um, they're going to flip some guys like they did uh, with Keon Coleman, and they're going to get flipped sometimes. Unfortunately, it happened with the rival. Yeah, I mean – I think if I if I remember back to the fall correctly, I think everyone had kind of tipped Benny to go to Michigan, and then were surprised when he flipped to Michigan. State. I think that also played a part due to the sport when the Spartans beat Michigan, you know, again on the on the field this past uh, fall. But then at the end, you know, a couple months play out. Even though Michigan State had probably just as good, if not a better, season than Michigan, uh, the Michigan allure, I guess, kind of in the end was enough to to flip him, which is uh, like you said, a, t- a tough loss for the Spartans. Yeah, and it could also be the you know the way things straightened out with Jim Harbaugh's contract. I mean, that had frozen a lot of recruiting on their end, and it seems like they've picked it up since that has settled down, and they've gotten their staff a little bit younger. So these things fluctuate a little bit. You know, right now I think Michigan State still you know that they're bummed about losing a guy like that to Michigan, but for them this is the beginning. You know, they had a first year that was even though they beat Michigan, not a great year. It's been a few years since Michigan State's looked very good in football. So this, to them, is the beginning. It's a tough hit, but if they start losing these guys like this in year four, I think that's when they're going to freak out a little bit more. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, let's look at the positives for today for Michigan State. And as they got a commitment and signature from a three-star wide receiver out of Louisiana in Keon Coleman. Uh, he is a guy who is ranked four stars by some recruiting services, including 24-7 Sports. But he is a in, the, in their composite ratings, he is a three-star. He's also a guy who is a high-level recruiter both football and basketball and will also play basketball at Michigan State. He will be uh, on scholarship with the football team and then play basketball on the side. He just this is a 6'4", 200-pounder. He's just a just an overall great athlete who can who can do a lot and you know Michigan State didn't have a receiver in this class as of yet and he's the first and might end up being the only receiver as part of the 2021 class and you know it seems like we talked a lot of the guys in previous year's classes like Trayvon Morgan and Montori Foster you know guys with potentially high upside and this is another guy with maybe a higher ceiling than those two guys. Yeah, I was interested to see, you know, we talked about, I think the last time we did this when they didn't have a receiver in this class is making me look stupid as much as I say that they're going to recruit receiver. Um, I think that was now in hindsight, I think that was just a concentrated effort to get, you know, rather than a couple receivers or shots at a couple, let's get the one highest upside guy we can get because that is the one position they've stocked this roster with coming back. That's got a pretty good amount of talent, you know, bringing back Jalen Naylor and, uh, and, and Ricky White and, and uh, Jaden Reed. And um, there's not a lot of room for, I mean, they want to use several guys, but there's not a lot of room for guys to just break out onto the scene yet. Um, but this is one who could. I mean, 6'4", like you said, who's got that explosion from basketball. And I was just looking at a little bit of his uh, his high school film, and he, they use him on screens all the time because it's a simple, let's get the ball in the hands of the guy that, that can make all these moves in the open field kind of like he does in basketball when he just posterizes people for a dunk so um that'll that's probably kind of how they'll start him out is just use him in the explosive elements before you can develop him as a more nuanced receiver but uh this is mel tucker dipping into the south where i mean they just build athletes a little different down there especially louisiana i mean that's they they're always turning out receivers ever at least it felt like ever since odell beckham and jarvis landry came out of the same class several years ago um, so this is their their opportunity to tip the scales a little bit athletically out wide, which is like I keep saying, I think that's how they're always going to win, and that's how or try to win, and that's going to be how they try to recruit the strong armed quarterbacks. Is saying we have the guys who can get down the field and go up and get the ball, and this is one of the guys they hope can do that. Yeah, in today's press conference, Mel Tucker talked a lot about you know how he's coached you know two sport guys you know in the past who record, <laughs> recruited two high school two star or not two-star, two-sport players. You know, I think there was a comment even about our, he's never lost a recruit that wrestled and played football or something something, something like that. <laughs> and uh, he kind of gave, like, uh, Nicole Hardman comparisons to Keon Coleman in terms of the two-sport athlete. I thought it was a interesting comparison. Yeah, I mean, that's one guy he's a little, little familiar with. But it is interesting the way it played out because, I mean, we know how much Tom Izzo loves this football program, and he's probably more in – involved with it than usually the basketball coach would be because he's you know he's mr mr michigan state but he also just absolutely loves football so it was kind of an interesting assist from the sort of you know veteran basketball coach to just get involved a little bit i mean i think you definitely see i haven't looked too much into him but i would assume keon coleman's more of a football player than a basketball player from a recruiting standpoint but um the opportunity to play and you talk about universities that have uh, semblance of both. I mean, he was originally committed to Kansas, which, you know, has been 
a beast in basketball, although they have the, the sanctions hanging over them, but they're nothing in football. So yeah. Michigan State, not great in football, but they're not Kansas. And they've got, you know, one of the better basketball programs. So it was just a nice way to kind of go get a kid that in theory would be should be hard for Michigan State football to go down to the south and pluck out this borderline four star wide receiver. That's not very easy to do at the beginning of a rebuild, but they were able to do it in part because of Tom Izzo. Yeah, and you know we talked about how Benny got kind of flipped from MSU to Michigan. So the same thing with Count Coleman. If you know the twenty four seven crystal ball predictions, a ton of predictions came in yesterday, both the Michigan State guys and national guys for Tulane uh, for for Keon Coleman. But uh, and then I watched Keon Coleman's Instagram. He posted an Instagram video where he talked where he was talking about his commitment, and he said he had made the decision last night that he was going to Michigan State. So it was kind of interesting to see all those. Crystal ball predictions come in Tuesday afternoon, and then Tuesday night he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to Michigan State. But uh, I think it's overall a great snag for Michigan State there. Yeah, and I think that right there probably shows how much he wants to play basketball because, I mean, he is far better of a player, football player than Tulane. But sometimes guys will look at a lower level like that for the opportunity to play both. So if Michigan State's open to it, it's like, well, yeah, I'm going to go there over Tulane. And so um, so we'll see how that works out. I mean, it's not the easiest thing to balance those two. I know Mel kind of says, oh, it'll work out. And he's brought up, you know, football and baseball players, football and tra- this is a little different when it's basketball. So it can definitely be done. But I've seen recruits in the past. I remember the probably the most one that stands out to me was Terrell Pryor wanted to play both at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And because it's quarterback, it's different. But um it's just never as easy as it as it seems going in. But it's you know, I think for as much as Izzo loves the football program, it's a it has a better chance to work here than maybe some other universities. Yeah. I trying to remember what school it was. I think it was Bethune Cookman, but don't hold me to that. Like East, East Lansing's Andrew Anthony, who is who was a Michigan State target, who also ended up signing with Michigan. Uh, I think he, I think Bethune Cookman offered him a scholarship to play both to play both sports. So that does See? happen. That does happen from time to time. And if Izzo had offered a spot, maybe he'd be in this class too. There you yeah. go. I think we. I think we. It's a lesson. I think we found the the reason why he's in uh, Ann Arbor, not East Lansing. <laughs> All right, Zach. Exactly. So we are going to come back to the class here in a little bit, but we're going to turn our focus now to the five transfers that Michigan State has brought in since the season has ended. Okay, and I'll list these off here. First off, we'll start with uh, the quarterback, which is Anthony Russo, six four two thirty five from Temple, two running backs. Harold Joyner, 6'3", 218 from Auburn. Kenneth Walker, 5'9", 191 from Wake Forest. Defensive end Drew Jordan, 6'2", 255 from Duke. And then Jarrett Horst, a 6'6", 305-pound offensive tackle from Arkansas State. Well, let's start with the – we've talked a lot about Anthony Russo before, but we'll just go ahead and start with him. I think someone asked a question today about how you, how you kind of – how they plan to handle him and Hamp Fay coming in as well. So, and, and obviously, I think people think they view Hamp Fay as the QB of the future. Then you also still have Peyton Thorne still on, still here. So, I mean, what do you, how do you kind of see, or what do you think of the quarterback situation? Yeah, I think Russo's in the mix. Fay could be in the mix, but he's probably on the outside looking in just as the freshman who's still so inexperienced. I mean, he's Hampton Fay has started. I think 10 games as a as a high school quarterback, you know, and now he's a true freshman showing up. So, uh, but Anthony, Anthony Russo is the polar opposite of that. He's a guy who started a ton at Temple and he's in his sixth year. 
Um, I, I could have wrote about this when I when I wrote about Anthony Russo. I think he just kind of raises the floor of this group. If you think back last year, you know when they're shuffling those quarterbacks, Rocky Lombardi to Peyton Thorne, one of the issues there was they did not fully know what they had in either guy. You know there wasn't there obviously wasn't the spring, there wasn't the you know the the non conference tune ups, um, but more than that, neither guy had really played much at all, at least in recent times since Rocky Lombardi played a couple years ago. So Anthony Russo, there's no real guessing about what he is. He is a big-bodied uh, you know, guy who can really drive the ball down the field and move a little bit, who also will turn the ball over. And so I think if people think that you know he's going to get fixed in his sixth year with um, what could be, again, a sort of reduced spring, I think that's being a little too optimistic. But at the same time, you know he's a guy who, uh, who kind of has a knowledge of the game and uh, and who who will drive the ball down the field, isn't afraid to make the throws that Michigan State wants quarterbacks to attempt. And he's just going to kind of challenge everyone else in that competition. You've got to beat this out. We know what this guy is, so you've got to be better than what he's already shown. And so I just think it'll help out. I, I, he's probably, you know, I, I'd probably put him neck and neck with Peyton Thorne uh, for that battle with Hampton Fan, the outside looking in, heading in the yeah. spring. But it at least puts you in a – you at least feel more confident about that position uh, not bottoming out than you did a year ago. For sure. And then you mentioned about uh, how all these guys are kind of lift up every position, lift up these, lift up the court. Excuse me. Let me restart. That. <laughs> you were talking about how Russo and uh, kind of lifts up the position. I think all these guys lift up these positions quite a bit. I, I like Drew Jordan quite a bit as a defensive end. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a three-year starter at Duke, four-year starter, I think, actually, at Duke. And he's got another year of eligibility, and he is going – to be in Michigan State. I, I think he's a guy who can contribute right, right away. Same thing with Jarrett Horse. Uh, I think there was a rumor floating on something I saw on Twitter where Michigan State beat Oklahoma out for him in terms of a transfer. So, I mean, I, that feels like a pretty good sign going forward, especially since Oklahoma's probably on that, you know, extra level ahead of, you know, the rest of the Power Five groups. And, and then the running backs, which did not produce at all last year, and you got two guys who have been very productive in their college careers. Yeah, and especially quarterback, like you mentioned, running back. Those are positions that bottomed out last year, and it made it very hard to you know, do much with the other positions when those were as bad as they were last year. So it definitely does uh, raise the floor, in part because you're adding a lot more experience to this team. Um, you know, you talk about like Kenneth Walker at running back. It's like Drew Jordan. Those guys have played a lot so far. And again, you know what they are, and so it helps you measure that up against newcomers, freshmen, guys who have not – yet uh, stepped onto a field and into a, uh, into a game situation and had to face adversity. So I think it definitely helps in that sense. Um, I'm with you on, on Drew Jordan. I'm maybe not, you know, he's, I'm not blown away by watching him, but what he does, you can definitely see fitting how they want to build this team where they want depth at those positions on the defensive line. And they want the kind of guy that if they're going to keep recruiting these, I call them Michael Fletcher types because that's just the first they've gotten. <laughs> But, you know, the six five rangy guys who win with length and set the edge, if you want to kind of win with those guys, you know, you got to you got to kind of work the whole pocket for that to matter. And Drew Jordan's a guy who isn't going to blow you away with sack totals and and just dominate his guy, but he holds contained super well. So if you have a guy winning on one end and another guy containing on the other, I mean, that's a pretty good bookend short of obviously having beasts on both ends. So. Uh, I definitely like that one, and um, and Kenneth Walker, I think, is that's the kind of guy that's like, yeah, Kenneth Walker, the running back out of Wake Forest, 
that guy's worked in a zone run scheme. So he's and done really well. I mean, he was on pace for in a 12 game season last year, he was on pace for 22 touchdowns. So that guy just has a way of getting the ball quickly, decisively and powering into the end zone. And that's the kind of short yardage stuff they clearly did not have at all last year. Look, I mean, any, the third and one, fourth and one nightmares should be yeah. over. Anytime you can go through an entire season without getting a touchdown, rushing touchdown from a running back, you've got to do that. <laughs> I don't. Did they convert a single fourth and one with the run game? It I felt mean, like I mean, twice I mean, a game they tried it and it went nowhere. I mean, I mean, I'm sure they did. I mean, I think they did some. They started going to QB sneaks at some point to get those to get those short conversions. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so you like Walker over Joyner then more? Yeah, for next year. Joyner is, I mean, he is, <laughs> that's kind of how you'd build a running back in a lab. I mean, it's that kind of southern uh, Alabama running back who goes to Auburn. and uh, But he didn't, they just did not trust him to play at Auburn in an offense that really needed some juice. And so that tells me something was off for him either, I don't know if it was conditioning or just, just mentally and picking up the playbook. So I just have a feeling he has a bigger learning curve, but you definitely see the um, the build and the the potential there. And I could see it being a thing where Joyner just gets more of the lion's share this year, but uh, or, or Walker gets more of the lion's share this year, and then Joyner, you know, with guys like Jordan Simmons, just kind of create the future a little bit more. Yeah. So out of these five guys, who do you think are day one starters? Definitely Kenneth Walker, and I think Jordan will as well at defensive end. What do you know? No. I go back and forth on Russo. I day one. Make your pick. Make your pick now, and you can't change it. <laughs> you can't change it for the next eight months. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I mean, yeah. For now, I'm going to go with Peyton Thorne still at quarterback. Okay. I, I think he's more of a guy that gets Peyton Thorne moving in that direction. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he started either. Yeah. So you don't think Horse is going to be starting day one? That I don't know. I honestly haven't looked enough into him yeah. to be able to say. I mean, I, it also depends on who comes who comes back. Yeah, I mean, they could if, uh, have both starting tackles back, Jordan Reed and A.J. Curry. Yeah. We haven't 100% heard on those guys. I know Jordan Reed will be back, but A.J. Curry, we haven't – I don't know 100% if he's going to be back. Jordan Reed's a starter for sure. So yeah, t- it's a possibility for all these guys. And Tucker was asked about those guys today, but some of the guys some of the guys he got specific on and then some of the guys he didn't. So Yeah, and Curry was one of those that was sort of – well, we hope so. Well, so, but, was George, so was Jordan Reed, right? Yeah, I mean, I've heard that Jordan Reed's. Okay. I'm pretty Sources. confident he's coming back. So, Sources. <laughs> Sources. Things change, so you never. Gotcha. No, so, uh, uh, well, you're predicting 22 touchdowns for Kenneth Walker next year. I think that's the big. That's I, think right. that's the, I think that's the headline from the yep. uh, and, from the transfer discussion. Uh, and, and, and you're predicting 22 sacks from Drew, Drew Jordan. Yes, this is true. I mean, uh, he can at least match Kenny Willickus's, uh 18 and a half or whatever it was from like two years ago, three years ago. So. Yep, that's, that's the, the bar at the minimum. All right. So if you want to read the tea leaves, uh, also from today's press conference, how many more transfers do you expect in and what positions do you think those might come at? I think Mel said they were going to try and get four or five more. And if you look at the way they've done this so far, I mean, these are guys that toward last point are guys they think can start at least compete to start. I don't think they want to bring many in to do anything else because there's a whole reason why you're getting, you know, someone else's players and guys with experience is to, to try and raise the floor of everything. So um, as far as which positions that, you know, I would think maybe because they had just lost Rayshon Benny defensive line, the interior of the defensive line could be a spot they look at. Um, I think they'll always look at offensive line right now. I mean, you see how much they're recruiting 
in this class and four offensive linemen. Um, that is clearly a group they're trying to remake and for good reason based on the just the athletic traits of that group. So if they can get guys who are closer to the build they want at offensive line, I think they'll look there too. I would be – I mean, there's certain positions you can cross out. I don't think you're going to see many wide receivers or running backs because they've got so many of both of those. And part of Transfer Portal is convincing those guys that you can come here and play. And so it's going to be kind of the positions that are easier to break into. So I would say the interior offensive and defensive line positions are probably their easiest spots. But I still think there's some spots in the, in the defensive secondary we could say that too. I uh, found it interesting that uh, Messiah DeWeaver is in the transfer portal for the, for the Spartans who who might uh, remember him. He was a quarterback commit. Uh, he was on campus for a year or two and transferred to Old Dominion, and now he's back in the portal. So and that's just, that's just a, a bigger thing where there are so many people in the portal here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many players. Too many. This is uh, some of these guys. There's so many. Pe- there's so many of these guys just might end up uh, on the outside looking in. Yeah, there's not enough homes for them, and so that's why. Michigan State came out. I think they're kind of doing this in two waves. When he says they're bringing in nine or ten and they they brought in five so far, it's kind of like, well, let's go out and get the guys we definitely want here. And then they're going to get real selective here from here on out where they kind of, you know, take a lot longer on some of these guys because they can because there's just not enough homes for all these guys and they're not all going to be competitive markets because some of these guys just got to find a place to go. Yeah. I was going to ask you to pick a – a defensive tackle or two who might uh, might be interested, but uh, I think there's just too many here. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gone through that list yet. So I will say, a random here, I'm going through this list here. Uh, one of the defensive tackles is Eston Miles. He is a 6'3", 305-pound defensive tackle from Western Michigan who put his name in the portal, and he is a Williamston grad, so he's a he's a local kid. Hmm. Uh, but the yeah, height, 6'3". Yeah, that's a, that, might be, that might be too short for, for what Mel Tucker wants. <laughs> So the highest-rated defensive tackle, at least from their high school rankings, left is Matthew Polomau. I Polomau. I'll probably pronounce that wrong. He is a six-two, two-ninety-five defensive tackle who just uh, put his name in the portal from Kansas State. So Nelson Jenkins from LSU. So those are both three-star guys. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe something to keep an eye on going forward. Well, especially that position, defensive line. That's one that's a little different than some of these others. Where I, I think they just want to play a ton of guys there. I mean, they want fresh bodies all the time. It's just kind of how Mel Tucker approached it in the SEC where you bring in as many high-level athletes and get them playing at the fastest speeds they can and see what an offense does with it. So that one's going to be a little easier to convince guys that, yeah, we may have projected starters per se, but there's lots of reps to get there, whereas obviously positions like quarterback and, and even right now wide receiver, positions like that are a little harder to sell. Exactly. All right, well, let's move on from there. Let's go and turn our focus back to the 2021 recruiting class. I know on our on our run sheet here, I, and by run sheet I mean a text message that you sent me earlier today. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're professional. Uh, yes, we were, we were going to talk about under the radar, guys. But before we get to that, I want to start just with who is, who is your favorite prospect, your number one prospect, the one you like the most, the one who can make the most inspect, who will be the big man you know, out of this class. Yeah, I mean, it's not that original, but I got to go with the guy whose name we struggle with, Ma. Uh, we had talked about him, the line, uh, outside linebacker out of Las Vegas, the one four-star they have in this class. Um, he's We talked about him on one of these podcasts, but he's a guy I do think will step right in as a 
as a freshman and, and do some things, certainly at least on special teams. But also, he's built a lot like Antoine Simmons was, that kind of smaller, slimmer linebacker who can just kind of fly. And just the, the force momentum he brings um, just kind of adds something different. It adds an attitude. It adds a you know potential to knock the ball out. Um, how quickly can he kind of grasp all this? Again, we'll see how much the world allows for spring practices and spring game and all that. But the athletic traits just kind of pop off when you watch him. And um, he's gotten to watch his brother, obviously, at, at USC and uh, who flashed as he flashed as a freshman. So I think he can do kind of the same thing, just step right in here at a position where um, they don't play a lot of linebackers, but they have a big hole there without Antoine Simmons, and they need that kind of athletic enforcer, and he can do that. All right. It's pronounced now Gayote. Now, okay. now Teote. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get this down at some point. I feel like you just said it two different ways. I did. Now Teote. Ma okay. now Teote. Now, say, it, say it five times. <laughs> Eventually, we'll get to talk to him. We'll just ask him to say it. Yeah. We'll ask him to say it five times because it probably yeah. rolls um, and then we'll probably still mess mess up the pronunciation. Yeah. Well, and his brother is another guy who's in the transfer portal who's kind of been linked to Michigan State. I don't know if that will, will come to fruition or not. He's but, been in there a while too, yeah. though, so I don't know what's going on. Who's your favorite guy in this class that's not him since I picked him and you definitely can't double up on that pick? <laughs> well, I'm not going to go with the guy who just signed today, and that's Keon Coleman. Look, I, I'm like Ricky Bobby. All right, I like hot, nasty, badass speed. All right? <laughs> And Keon Coleman is the guy who kind of uh, delivers that. He's the only wide receiver in the class. And, you know, they, they don't even have a running back. In the, or they have one running back in the class in Davion Prim. But, uh, you know, he's like the big flash, you know, guy gets the ball, does things in the open field. And those are the kind of guys I like. So I think he's, he's the guy that really stands out for me. Okay. Well, playing off this, and you mentioned we were going to talk about under-the-radar guys. I say we both pick an under the, a guy who's – not because those are the two highest rated guys in the class. Who's a guy who's not highly rated that we like? I'll go first, and it's a guy I talked to just I think it was two weeks ago at this point. But Cameron Allen, the tight end out of Texas, he's one of their four early enrollees, along with Hampton Fay, Michael Gravely, the safety, and Ethan Boyd, the local tackle. But Cameron Allen, um, if you look at him, he he's one of those guys who comes in, usually tight ends come in and they're either just a blocker who just came up through that mold uh, or, or they're just like a receiver who's big. He's got elements of both and he played a lot more in line as a junior and then he had some injuries and they realized he's such a great athlete. They played him out wide more, but he really had a breakout season last year as a receiver. Um, but this is a dude that's like um, he, he's built, he's built pretty well. He's uh he's six, five and two twenty, and that is a position that just you talk about. We didn't even mention it, but another position they got nothing out of last year, where they were converting a punter to play tight end. Yeah, I mean, right. they need help there, and it's it's one thing. You know, we, again, the receivers are going to be the guys who fly down the field and kind of set the tone for the offense. But they they need those underneath the guys. If you're going to create that much space with a vertical threat, you want to have some of these mismatched tight end types. And I think Cameron Allen definitely has. Uh, the potential to do that. He comes from a high level of play in Texas, but also the fact that he's in here early, he's in the strength program. That's kind of becoming the bedrock of Mel Tucker's uh, program here. So I think getting in early, not only to do that, but to train a little bit with Hampton Fay and build that chemistry, I think is going to be big for them. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to go uh, to the big nasties, the big uglies on the offensive line and say, Kevin Wigington uh, from Hunt school in Princeton, New Jersey. He's a six, five, six, five, two ninety, And, 
the thing we we know about all these these Tucker recruits on the offensive line is that they are coming in as big guys. They are not coming mm-hmm. in at 250, 260, and then they're going to bulk them up, you know, to two, three, 290, 300, 310. You know, he's, an, he's a guy who's already big, and he's 295, excuse me, 290 pounds at the guard position is something that has been a rare, I don't think has been around for, for quite a while here for Michigan State. And Wigington, I love the way Wigington plays. I think he's got a lot of drive, a lot of push. He kind of kind of bullies some guys when you when you, when you you watch his film. And I just think he's a guy who could potentially step in pretty quickly if uh, if he can continue his maturation process. Yeah, no, he was one of the guys when I was going through all these back last summer and, and just looking at their film, he jumped off the film because uh, – just like what you talk about, there's a nastiness to the way he plays. I mean, he he loves to just put guys on their backs, and that's not always the way it goes for these guys who already have an offer in the bag, and you know they they just are kind of too big for other players. I mean, he is he is really grinding, and he's one of those guys I think could use some work off the snap of the ball, like probably a lot of players. But the longer the rep goes, the more he competes and competes and gets better. And you also saw he was kind of the sort of a leader for this class of really trying to recruit other guys and helped open up some floodgates in New Jersey for the recruiting efforts. And, um, and that, that tends to play on the offensive line where they play as a group and they feel a little isolated from the team. And if he can kind of, kind of steer that group and if his, if his, uh, bullying attitude, if that becomes infectious, I mean, that's going to play into everything Mel Tucker talks about with relentless and intensity. And, um, I think it's just a really good fit for the way they want to build these guys. Yeah, and they—I mean, you were talking about the recruiting. You know, helped get probably helped get Vandermark, Gino Vandermark, who's an offensive guard also in this class, and uh, momentarily helped them get Audric Estime, four-star running back that eventually went to Notre Dame. So, yeah, it kind of worked here. So, my and that one we haven't talked about. I mean, that that would have been a great find for them. Like we've said this off off the air. Once Notre Dame steps in and wants a running back, I mean, <laughs> there's only a couple of schools that can compete with that. I mean, they they. They build it perfectly for a running back to come in, but the fact that Michigan State even had a chance at him, to your point, does speak to what to what the work Kevin was doing, and maybe they started a tiny little pipeline in New Jersey, which would be interesting because that's not an area that you would have thought Mel Tucker had, you know, a great share of. Yeah, and especially with Greg Shano back in Rutgers, you know, that was one of his, you know, new one of I was going to say New Jersey built, but it's not that thing he actually said. But I think you know. <laughs> Recruiting in their backyard and you know winning with players in their backyard, I think was was a component of his success at Rutgers the first time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my oh, original sure. answer to this question was going to be AJ Kirk, but I, uh, uh, upon retrospect, I thought he was kind of rated too high. It's kind of weird because it's it's almost all three stars. So in in some <laughs> respect, all of them are under the radar. You know what I mean? But uh, yep. ultimately, I decided so. But AJ Kirk is a guy I really like. Uh, he hit, he hits hard. Uh, he he covers the field very well, and the you know at at Hoban or Hoban, however you pronounce that, he they played him all over the place as a safety. He played up at the line a lot. He he rushed the quarterback a lot as a, as an outside blitzer. He could play outside linebacker. He can play safety. I feel like he could almost play inside linebacker if that's something they really wanted him to do. But uh, you know his and his football IQ and awareness also really popped off when I was you know watching the video. So AJ Kirk is a guy I'm pretty high on as well. Yeah, I mean that's I can I can say from being from that area, having played. Archbishop Hoban back in high school. They that is an incredible program that develops guys all the time. And he's not only got that training, but he's also uh is he Mike Doss's brother? Yes. 
Yep. Is that right? Yep. Mike, yep. The brother of Mike Dallas, the former Ohio State star from the early 2000s and on the O2 national title team and played in the NFL for, I think, five or six years. So, yeah. Yeah, and one of the more cerebral players, I think Mel, I, I'm confident Mel Tucker would say he's one of the most cerebral players he's coached. So he's already kind of gotten some high-level coaching before he even gets here, which is certainly encouraging. You know, I'm going to bring up one guy on the opposite end of that, not to say that he's not coached up, but Charles Brantley, uh, the cornerback out of uh, out of Florida, is a guy they they were kind of on early. Um, that is a guy that definitely needs some fine-tuning, but when you think of they just lost Shakir Brown to the NFL and he's that kind of a uh, riverboat gambler kind of sells out for turnovers. And um, that that's Charles Brantley. The recovery speed is there. I mean, there are things you can do with him when you have that much speed. It's like when I covered Darius Slay on the lions, when it's, when it's that overwhelming speed, you can do some different things with trail technique and can kind of bait quarterbacks into throwing picks. Mel Tucker's from that, that level where they did that in the NFL. And if you have that kind of athletic advantage at that position, in the Big Ten, it's even a little easier, I think, to trick some quarterbacks. So I'll be interested to see kind of how they use him. Um, it's got a lot of technique he's got to clean up, obviously, yeah. uh, playing that way. But there's definitely a potential there, you know, maybe after a redshirt year or something like that. Yeah. Well, I watched uh, the game, Charles Brantley and Stephen Johnson, Stephon Johnson, who were both part of this class, are on the same high school team. And they were on ESPN for a game earlier this year. And I really came away impressed with Brantley. You know, there was a game where they were heavy underdogs and kind of got blown on a little bit. But, uh, you know, I was impressed with the way Brantley hit, the way Brantley played in coverage. And uh, I, I, like you said, I think he's a high potential guy in that secondary. And being coached up by, you know, Holler Barlett or whatnot certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, one question I have for you since we're kind of talking up these guys. I mean, what would be the concern of this class? What would you say they're missing or what? Uh, where does it just fall short to what it maybe could have been? Well, I mean, of course, my initial reaction would have been running back. But when you get two guys in the transfer portal, I guess that kind of even said that. So so do we include the transfer portal guys or not when we're talking about this? Yeah, I think it's part of the calculus. Okay. All right. I'm going to deliver a hot take. And you sort of alluded to it. Uh, but it is quarterback. Because just because Spay, like you said, has only played 10 high school games. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy you're kind of putting your, putting all your eggs in the basket on for this class. And the fact that he's played so little, I mean, he's played good, but he's also played so little that that certainly is a little bit of a concern going forward. Oh yeah. It's, I've described him as a swing for the fences guy. It's why he's, uh, for them to be able to, Michigan state does not have the infrastructure right now to go out and get the highly proven six, five type gunslinger quarterback. So they got a swing on one who is not really, produced and shown it yet and that's Hampton Fay and I think that we talk about transfer portal that's why Anthony Russo is here is just to get a guy who's we at least know what he is he could at least play for right now in case this really takes a long time or just blows up entirely but yeah I mean the only quarterback that they've recruited so far is this real big you know swing for the fences type player Um, I, I would say that because they're focusing so much at wide receiver I think they're gonna help that you know, that position out naturally. But again, only if they end up hitting well, hitting those throws down the field, he's got a big arm and I, you know, I think there's definitely potential. He could be a good deep ball thrower, but if it's never accurate, which is sometimes the issue with Anthony Russo, I mean, how much does that matter? You know? So it is definitely that, that to me is definitely the risk there. And then the other thing I would just add is like, like we talked about, I mean, losing Rayshon Benny was tough because, the other defensive tackle they have, Derek Harmon, may turn out to be a good player, 
or a very good player, but he's from a very low level of play in Loyola, and um, he might he might have improved this year. I had a hard time finding film on him because it's it's that kind of level, but it's very raw, and it's especially when you play in the interior of uh, interior of lines, it's is you might be able to touch on from your uh, your high school days. That's <laughs> Uh, that sometimes we're on low levels. They put the worst athletes. So um, let's just say he hasn't been tested in the way that I think he's going to get potentially smacked in the face in the Big Ten level. And they probably planned for that when they recruited him, wanted to redshirt him, but they don't have Rayshon Benny now. So it just kind of speeds up the clock of the rest of the guys. Yeah, for sure. And they really clearly you got three corners and two safeties in this class. So they really kind of cleaned up in the, you know, got, got the guys they wanted in the secondary anyway. So like you said, defensive tackle is probably where they recruited the least. You know, they got they got two linebackers, a handful of defensive ends, so but a lot of offensive line. I'd say the offensive line is part of where we all think they did their best work. Would that be a correct assessment? Yeah. i I mean I'd put that right up there with, with the defensive backfield because I mean those are where the numbers are and we like the guys they got too. But especially offensive line, I mean, we've been taught about it for years. They have been they they have been really trying to patch that group together from a recruiting standpoint trying to get the absolute every squeeze every last ounce out of this guard that you're moving to tackle who's you know six one and that, that's just a tough way to play in the big ten I mean you're trying to get you're trying to create a Jack Conklin out of all these guys and um, very very risky so there's a different level of risk here because some of these guys we talked about like Ethan Boyd um, I think has a long way to go from a, a technique standpoint but at least you know, there is some floor to just the fact that they're big enough to do it and they're not going to get just thrown around off the snap of a ball because they're just base mass. So, yeah, I, I definitely like what they did on the offensive line. I think that's what they had to do in this class and they were able to do it. All right. I am going to list all of the rest of the guys on the 2021 class that we haven't talked about. And if you have anything to say about them, now is your time to do it. You got uh, what we talked uh, well, we just said his name. We didn't really talk about it much. You got Alex Akello, a defensive end from Nashville, Tennessee, 6'5", 217. Davion Prim, running back from Oak Park, 6'0", 201. Antoine Booth, cornerback from DeMatha Catholic, 6'0", 185. Brandon Baldwin, an offensive tackle from Independence CC, 6'7", 315. And Carson Castile, inside linebacker, 6'3", 210. Oh, also one more. Uh, Hank Pepper, a long snapper, 6'2", 200, also a three-star guy. I'll leave the uh, long snapper breakdown to you oh, since yes. I'm sure that's your area of expertise. Sure. Uh, I could say a lot on it, but I just don't want to step on your toes. Oh, well, but uh, so that, thank you for thank you for giving me that freeway to express all of my thoughts and knowledge about how to <laughs> properly long snap a ball. Yes. Uh, the two guys I would just comment on real quickly. I, I alluded to a little bit with Tyson Watson, one of those defensive ends. I mean, he's, he comes in at six six and two seventy. I mean, so for everything I talked about last year with guys like, you know, no offense to him, but Drew Beasley is um, former walk on who's really worked hard, but does not have that kind of edge setting body. And I thought he just got eaten up against Iowa because that's what Iowa does. This is kind of the theoretical solution to that: is get a guy who there is no question about how big he can get, how long he is, and you see him just off the snap of the ball, he just gets around high school tackles with ease. And so that's the hope once you can, you know, work in his pad level. And, um, so we'll kind of see it. You might be able to play a little bit this year, but that's kind of where drew Jordan comes in. So he doesn't have to right away. Um, the one other guy, you know, that was kind of interesting to me was if I can find him here, uh, Antoine Booth, the cornerback yes. out of, out of, uh, DeMatha Catholic, which is where in, in Maryland, where, uh, um, 
Darren Harris went. But he he's kind of as I talk about um, Brantley being the riverboat gambler. Antoine Booth's a little more of the just traditional cornerback. He's a safer player. He's pretty decently highly rated, but he can tackle. He can he can just kind of play the position a little bit better. So you can kind of envision a world in which he's more the maybe the guy who matches up on possession type receivers, whereas. Um, you know, and you're not gambling as much with him, but you feel secure in what he can do. And then on the other side, you know, in, in future years, Brantley is that guy that's just the the gambler who can who can be used in a bunch of different ways. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts before we uh, sign off here, Nate? It was good talking to you. It's been a, been a minute. Yeah, it's been a little while. Um, I'm kind of thinking of when we'll do this again, since this is the last signing day until the fall. So. I don't know. Maybe something will happen. Maybe they'll get seven more transfers and we'll do another one of these. But I guess that's the part that I'm interested in is what can they do in this massive, whatever it is, a thousand kids trying to transfer. And, you know, on, among that group, can they find enough to patch together some of their holes so they're at least competent enough to bring some of these recruits along? Because I do like this class and the the ceiling and the thought process they have behind it. But, um they got a lot of work to go from what they were last year and what yep. they were at times the year before. And so, um, so we see how they can patch together. Well, it certainly seems like it's possible they'll bring in seven more transfers. So <laughs> we may actually be doing that, uh, that podcast after all. All right. Well, if they get at least five, we'll plan on doing that deal. That's a promise deal. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan speaking production of the Lansing state journal, Detroit free press and the USA today network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.